Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today we're going to discuss whether Labor's catching an economic hospital pass. On the surface, the economy looks good with the lowest unemployment rate for decades. However, the Australian economy is facing significant headwinds with rising inflation and rising interest rates. Many households are starting to feel these cost pressures already, and it only looks like this will accelerate as interest rates rise. To be fair to Labor, uh, there's many things that are out of their control, but the question is whether voters will blame them anyway. As a change, we're going to discuss the investment implications throughout the episode. Uh, so my name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. Today on the show, we have David Llewellyn-Smith, who's our Chief Strategist with a distinctly global macroeconomic flavor. Dave, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. And also want to welcome our Chief Economist, Leith Van Onselen, who goes by the name of the Unconventional Economist. Leith, welcome also. G'day, Sam. G'day, Dave. Hello, everybody. Thanks, gentlemen. Uh, so just a quick housekeeping reminder before we get started. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded. Alternatively, you can follow us on your preferred podcast platform as our show is available on all majors. Uh, and for those of you listening live, feel free to drop your questions in the YouTube live stream chat and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. Uh, so now that we've got that bit of housekeeping out of the way, we'll uh, get started. So Leith, I'll hand it over to you to lead us away. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Uh, look, as uh, as Sam mentioned in the introduction, uh, the Labor Party is coming into office, obviously, with the economy in a superficially good position. We've got the lowest unemployment since the, the mid-1970s. The underemployment rate's the lowest it's been since about 2008. We've got record high employment to population uh, ratio, record high labour force participation. Uh, pretty much the only thing that's not firing on all cylinders when at least it comes to the labour market is wages, which are still tracking around their pre-pandemic level, but are at least going up. Um, now, what I'd argue is that the problem when you come in with such good figures is that there's really only way to go, well, only one way to go, and that's down. Obviously, we've got a cost of living crisis uh, across the economy where, where, whereby uh, obviously petrol prices are soaring. We've got rent, rents going through the roof at their, um, the rental vacancy rates at its lowest level on record and rents are rising double digit pace. We've got pretty rampant food inflation, uh, which everyone sees when we go to, the, uh, go to the supermarket. And the problem for Labor is that the electorate expects, will, will expect Labor to solve these problems. And part of it is its own making because it did run on a cost of living campaign over the election. Um, and obviously, Labor is also facing a sharp rise in interest rates, which is going to add to cost of living pressures even more through higher mortgage rates. Now, I'd argue that most of the factors that Labor's facing are actually out of its control. Um, obviously, we've got you know international uh, imported inflation through petrol and the like, and also you know obviously building materials and all those sort of input costs. At the same time, Labor's also that the, the interest rate lever is also with the Reserve Bank of Australia, so it doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, control there. Interest rates are set independently by the RBA, so Labor's pretty much in a price taker position here, where it's where it's basically um, all these drivers are out of its control. But being the being the new incumbent government, it also risks being blamed for uh, for obviously the cost of living pressures and any deterioration in the economy. Um, 
I'll add that the outlook for the economy going forward is obviously going to be very poor uh, with interest rates on the rise. Uh, if we believe the median economist forecast, the cash rate will peak at around 2.5% uh, uh, from its current position of 0.35%. Uh, the markets, are, the financial markets are even more bullish. They think the, the cash rate is going to peak at around 3.5%. And if that comes to fruition, well, um, you know, the typical mortgage holders facing a 50% rise in their monthly mortgage repayments. Now, given that household consumption makes up more than half of Australia's growth, you could conceivably have a situation where household consumption collapses because households are, A, paying a lot more money into their mortgages, which means they've got less money to spend elsewhere. But also, if the Reserve Bank's too aggressive and they raise interest rates too far, uh, we're also looking at a house price you know, a deep house price correction or maybe a crash, which also risks, um, you know, smashing consumption even more through the wealth effect. So as Sam so eloquently put it, the risk for labour is that it's going to get blamed for a downturn that's really not its doing. And uh, and this risk playing in, in, into, into a theme of labour being a poor economic manager, which is pretty much what happened, um, which is the line that the Liberals have run for pretty much 20 years uh, from, from the Howard era um, to the Rudd, uh, Gillard, Rudd era after when the global financial crisis hit. Um, I, see, I do see parallels here to the GFC, uh, whereby Labor's come in sort of late cycle, just ahead of a downturn, and then it's it does risk holding the ball when obviously the proverbial hits the fan. And I can't think of a lot of things that are much worse for a government than facing a whole lot of angry households who are obviously angry about the poor state of the economy, cost of living pressures rising and the value of their biggest asset falling in value, i.e. house prices. So I guess a lot will depend on how aggressively the Reserve Bank of Australia tightens and whether it overshoots, uh, as well as obviously uh, what happens externally. Um, I'm a little bit nervous on this front because I'm watching the uh, the canary in the coal mine across the ditch, across the pond in New Zealand, where we're actually seeing the Reserve Bank of New Zealand tighten hyper aggressively. Um, which I think is going to lead to a calamity over in New Zealand. Uh, just yesterday, the Reserve Bank in New Zealand forecast that its cash rate is going to peak at nearly 4% after it's just risen to 2%. And this is in comparison to almost 0% uh, cash rate only a year ago. And that, that will see the New Zealand's uh, mortgage, mortgage rates basically double over that time. And I think Australia, if the Reserve Bank of Australia does overshoot, could face a similar set of circumstances which will smash the economy, smash house prices and ultimately be, well, could smash labour. Um, Dave, what, what, are your, what are your views on this? Yeah, well, firstly, I agree with the, your summary vis-a-vis the timing and the risks, absolutely. I'd say there are two mitigating factors, or probably three, that may prevent that worst-case outcome. The first one being global goods prices have peaked, uh, and that's one of the major cost of living pressures you refer to that's outside of Labor's control. You know, the, the whole supply chain pressures globally are now slumping into, well, the tension in them is, is easing back really quickly, uh, in part because China's had its COVID accident things, but it's actually more than that. Consum just goods consumption is slowing, real good cons goods consumption, that is volumes is slowing at a good clip in the US. The European consumer has been hit by its energy shock, and so it's down there as well. And then, of course, we've got combined property uh, COVID downturn in China. So, I mean, that's six shocks 
stocks we've described for the last few months in the potties uh, have topped out global goods prices. So there is some deflation coming on imported goods, which will help you know some of those imported inflationary pressures. I I still think as well um, that the Fed can't stop tightening, even though the US economy is clearly slowing now and inflation has a peak there to, as well, though it remains you know kind of pretty strong, I think. The Fed can't stop tightening until it at least breaks oil down. Yeah. Otherwise, I think it risks, if it were to pivot away to easing at this point, even just turning neutral, uh, it risks sending commodity prices completely balmy and just delivering a new round of demand destruction to the global economy anyway. So it's in a bit of a catch-22 position. So it could either give the world an inflationary negative growth shock or just a deflationary one, you know, could obviously prefer the latter. So I don't think it's done tightening. So there's probably uh, still a commodities shock coming as well, which may add to your case, Leith, of, of uh, making life more difficult for the economy, but uh, it will also feed into lots of goods deflation. Um, you know, the, my base case is still that we get some form of pretty decent global recession uh, before really kicking off before the end of this year uh, and that's a time frame in which you know labor could probably uh, be blaming the government right up until prices start to fall and then claim victory even yeah. though they've actually done nothing in either sense it wasn't their fault to begin with but they'll claim the victory anyway um, and so they'll, they'll be relief on cost of living pressures i guess what i'm saying especially through 2023 uh, and so that's one mitigating factor. And now the other one is because of uh, the sort of Morrison government, government bumbling on visas, the Australian recovery post-COVID sort of ran about six months behind the global one. And so we have a bit of scope for the RBA uh, in particular, but for everybody to kind of watch this play out uh, overseas before they get to tightening too quickly. Now, the RBNZ hasn't had that problem, so they're on the move. Yeah. And we know that the, uh, the RBA has already turned hawkish, uh, but if they've got any sense, they'll, they won't track the RBNZ. They'll, they'll go in 25 basis point steps and they'll watch how global inflation comes off, you know, assuming a global recession. Um, and so not go to 50, you know, brackets of 50 basis, of 50 basis points and, and not front and load it too much. Yeah. Uh, so there's some, some hope therefore that the RBA won't overcook it because we've got this, this sort of six month lag behind a lot of the global economy, just through, through good luck. Well, actually through bad management that's turned into good luck, uh, and so, you know, we'll have to see. They're, they are starting to sound quite hawkish at the RBA. Um, um, but it, to me, it, it's odds on at this point that, they, that the last hike and maybe the next few, uh, they'll probably get a few more away, look more like it's ill-fated campaign, you know, in early 2008. Yeah, and it had almost, to quickly reverse. It had to quickly reverse, yeah. I, I, and, or indeed just 
fell way short of what everyone was forecasting. You know, and mate, that that's that's pretty much the nub of it, isn't it? Like, like I know Dave and I have talked heaps privately. We're obviously written on the blog that we think the median economist forecast and the median and the market forecast for interest rates is delusional. Yes, uh, pretty much. The only commentator we think talked any sense on this is Gareth Ed. Um, you know, the yeah. head of Australian economics at CBA tips are much. And actually, Chris Joy is talking a lot of sense as well. Um, yeah. Those guys are pretty much the only ones who are talking any sense, thinking that cash rates um, not going to rise really by more uh, more than say one point five to one point five percent. Yeah. Uh, and, and and even Gareth Ed said that he thinks that's too high, but he thinks if you know the RBA could overshoot. Um, yes. Whereas all the other economists are tipping more two and a half percent, and the markets are obviously tipping three and a half percent, and that that's where it's disastrous for Labor if these if the median economist forecast or even worse the markets forecast comes to fruition. But I think they'll be stopped out way before that. I think Dave does too, yeah. obviously, and um, because of that, it wouldn't be as disastrous for Labor. So I guess my my whole doomsday scenario thing is based on the meeting forecast is based on what the forecast is saying at the moment um yeah which i don't think that i'm hoping i don't think the rba would be that stupid and as dave said also given we're behind the curve if the if central banks elsewhere start uh, reversing and there's a global recession the rba wouldn't have got to that point yet and they can stop out earlier so yeah um, and, and you can see that coming in the us already like they've done one fifty basis point hike after a twenty-five, or I think, yeah, <clears throat> um, they're probably locked in for two more fifties, regardless of what happens. But <clears throat> the long end of the curve there has rolled uh, in terms of bond yields, and and their terminal rate, like you know, the expected high for the tightening cycle, uh, has started to drop. Like markets saw it at, I can't remember, maybe three and a half or so, but it started to drop at a pretty reasonable clip. And so markets are starting to reprice um, exactly this scenario, at least in the US, where this is all more advanced by three to six months. Um, and we should mention as well, you know, the extraordinary uh, fixed rate mortgage reset. No, oh, yeah, massive. Half, half, half a half a half a uh, trillion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 like twenty to twenty five percent of the total mortgage book of the country over the next eighteen months to two years. Yeah, is going to reset from two percent and sub two percent mortgage rates that were all you know picked snapped up during um, during the COVID recessions. Uh, when the RBA was was buying or was using yields curve for control and fixing three year rates at a very low, uh, and they've now blown out to what four and a half? Like? Yeah, well, yeah, no, no. The um, the average discount variable mortgage rates about three point eight, three point nine now. Um, right. But and the but fixed, obviously the fixed rates are like... oh sorry, so no, no, fixed rates are gone. Fixed rates are double base or pretty much almost double what they were. Yeah. So. Um, but anyway, those 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 that five hundred billion dollars is going to reset at nearly four percent. Yeah. So so basically, what Dave's saying is, if you took out a one of these cheapo mortgages during the height of the pandemic, you're looking at a double of your mortgage rate, uh, whether you switch from fixed to fixed or fixed to variable. Yeah. Um, at least that's, double. That's, it could, it could that's be more. before the RBA does anything. Yeah. You know. So 
I mean, that is that is a very heavy duty tightening that's built in. Um, I think that's the key reason for why uh, Gareth Baird at CBA is making sense. Yes, because he, he does privilege that in his analysis, whereas uh, I think a lot of the other economists are really under underrating the impact of that. I mean, it's literally a quarter of Australian mortgages yeah. are, are about to be uh, very onerous indeed. So, um, so that I think also may, will inject some caution into the RBA. Now, we've, we've also, it is worried about wage prices, um, but as Lee said, you know, the, the official, um, well, the wage price index is still, what, 2. 2.35%. 2.35, pre-pandemic levels, clearly trending upwards, of course, and a lot of private surveys are indicating red hot wage pressure, but a lot of those as well have become quite unreliable in recent years uh, for, for reasons that are not entirely obvious, to be honest. Um, but... Uh, they've certainly become more, a lot more volatile than the underlying official numbers. And so they overshoot big both ways up and down. Uh, and so, you know, we are going to see some more wage growth um, and it should accelerate from here. Uh, but I don't think the RBA needs to panic overly on that either, especially if it's start, it starting to see reasonably strong signals of an approaching downturn, which... You know, we are seeing. We're, and, and, we're at the headwaters of that, and that's only going to intensify over the next quarter. And, and there's also there's also some there's also an inbuilt, uh, I guess, institutional headwind of wage growth in that the superannuation guarantees tip to rise half percent every July one for the next several years. Um, so that if you believe the Grattan Institute and the RBA is modelling, that should subtract um, basically eighty percent of that rise gets taken off wage growth. Yeah, so, right. yeah. so, so it's just one of these sort of built-in. What is areas. it? What is it? Fifty basis points per yeah, annum for oh, a few years. years until it gets to twelve percent. So it's currently ten percent. So next four years. So four years, shit. Right. Yeah. So that's um, that alone should take, if you believe the model, in point uh, four percent, shave point four percent off wage growth every year. Every year. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Which is significant. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it is. So, so I, 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 you know, I, I've obviously. I've campaigned pretty hard against doing that, but I guess in an inflationary environment, it's probably not a bad thing in some ways. Yeah, yeah maybe so. Um, so, so yeah, there, I, there are probably two scenarios then for the economy and for labour. Yeah, I'm trying to sort of boil it down to probabilities, but at least describe the scenarios first is, you know, it's the end of cycle, um shock that you described lee and you know whatever the headwinds that there are globally they're not enough yet the fed has to keep tightening maybe the, the chinese COVID crisis eases somewhat and it rebounds and gives a little bit more momentum to global growth and the fed's forced higher and and then the us plunges into recession and drags china and europe with it and we get a hard landing globally and, and australia is just dragged into that by falling falling commodity prices and falling asset prices. Uh, and we would risk recession in that scenario, probably more like in 2023 here. Still a fair bit of momentum in uh, 
things here, both private sector and public. We shouldn't forget there's quite a lot of um, uh, public infrastructure investment going on this year, like pretty strong growth, uh, which has lagged stimulus out of COVID period. Uh, and that, that actually starts to flatten out and fall next year. So uh, that'll, that'll be another support that's removed. So the hard landing scenario, but there, there is a, a probably a better prospect of a soft landing here than there is elsewhere, I would suggest. I wouldn't necessarily make this the base case, but um, let's say we get a reasonable correction in commodity prices, but because of the Ukraine, they really revert to mean. I'm talking about maybe oil drops to $70 and the various coals come off maybe by 40, 40%, but they're still historically very high prices. And so it's fine for the budget and national income doesn't take that big a hit uh, in Australia. Uh, and because of the lag we've got on this, these, this developing sort of global recession, uh, you know, the RBA does get tipped off and stops hiking, uh, and, and relatively soon uh, Australian house prices don't fall that much during this big mortgage reset uh, and so consumption is okay and in that scenario you would get you know kind of a big um, shift downwards in the external inflation drivers both in terms of energy uh, and goods prices. So 2023 would shape as a really big deflationary year and the cost of living would come down a lot. And if Australia came through that with a soft landing, labor look good. Labor, yeah, and wages don't pull back that much. House prices don't pull that much. The RBA's on hold. Uh, labor looks good, yeah. So there yeah, is- and then, and, then, and then it'll be a bit like in the GFC, you know, Australia coasted through the global financial crisis compared to other nations. <laughs> yes. But uh, obviously, I mean, I, I think the narrative can't be run the same now, but back then it was focused on labor spending, school halls, waste, blah, 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 right? Yeah, Blow out yes. in the debt. Yeah. Um, I don't think that would necessarily jive this time around, given that the coalition was obviously in government during the COVID pandemic when debt ballooned as well. So yes, I, I, I think, I, I think I voters think they... be more receptive. Receptive. Yeah, to fiscal stimulus, you mean? Yes. Yes, absolutely right. So, so I think, like, even in the hard landing scenario, uh, where maybe we were in recession, I don't think it would be overly deep. Um, uh, it depends. I mean, it, if if the RBA is silly enough, it's really about the RBA. Isn't it? it is. The, the The RBA is basically holding the bat. It is. If they're silly enough to chase this then we will get a nasty, nasty recession. And I sort of... And labor will wear it. But, I, I, know, I know I always look at New Zealand. I mean, I've been talking about New Zealand, but it's, it's interesting in that New Zealand, New Zealanders have really turned against Jacinda Ardern. Like there, she's she's gone from being the saint to, you know, right down here in the polls, like lagging way behind. So, oh. who's, so who's leading there now? Uh, the national, I can't remember his name, it's a bloke. Uh, so the national coalition, which is basically like, so national act, like the conservative side, uh, if, you, if they did like a um, coalition versus Labor and the Greens, the coalition's way ahead now. And uh -huh. 
basically the Kiwis are getting really restless with, with Jacinda Ardern because of all these factors effectively. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm looking at, and I'm looking at the RBNZ, like she's kind of helpless in a way. Um, unlike Labor though, she has been in government, whereas Labor's a new one, so they've got a fresh coat of paint and that's mm-hmm. always good. But it's interesting watching Kiwis go from a year many, ago loving, loving Ardern to hating her. How many elections has she done? Is she still uh, in the first term or the second, second term? Second term. Second term, yeah. And, but, but she had a stomp in like the record support only about a year ago. Right. Uh, and now it's gone the other way and they're now got the baseball bats out for her. So, mm. um, you know, but again, she's a little bit like us. She's captive to the RBNZ. The RBNZ's become hyper aggressive. Mm. And, and, and their, their statement yesterday and the statement of monetary policy was as hawkish as you could believe. Mm. Like I, I could actually shock the bank economists and everything how hawkish they were. Mm. Um, and I think if they followed through with what they're saying, well, then New Zealand's, you know, the housing market's going to crash. They're even more probably vulnerable than us. Um, and then, they, they you know, a, I could... They had a bigger run-up, didn't they, during COVID? Oh, massive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more inflated, although their household debt's arguably a bit less. But but they're, but they're incredibly... Um, they've had a lot more highly geared mortgages in us like their um debt to income ratios above six so with about a third of all mortgages last year mm. uh it's insane so um you know it definitely worth watching uh what happens in new zealand but then again as dave said new zealand's six months ahead of us as well so mm. they, they they started tightening in uh october last year so about six months ahead and there is hopefully the the good scenario for us is in some ways, if the world goes into recession um, early before the RBA is tightened too much, it might actually end up being good for us, I guess, because it could cut the uh, the RBA out early. Um, yeah. Well, I'll wait and see. Yes. So, I mean, I, I guess nobody's going to see it as good, but in, yeah. in, in reality... Sorry, good, 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 good politically, maybe. Yes. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then, as discussed, as there, there is an outcome there that labor, makes Labor look pretty good. With falling standard of living, wages, sorry, falling goods prices, wages okay. I imagine services inflation will still be a bit sticky, especially yeah. rents and things. But uh, you know, building costs and stuff will all be falling a lot. Yeah, um, steel prices globally are starting to come off, uh, and it will certainly all accelerate if we get a decent commodities bust. So, and then you know, wages would probably be. A little higher than they were pre-pandemic, so we might actually get some real wage growth, I guess. Yeah, and and also Plasma. remember, um, uh, Albanese has come out in very strong support to um, increasing minimum minimum wage and yeah. ward wages. So that's basically a quarter of all employees are on two percent are on the minimum wage, and another twenty three percent are on the ward wages, which are linked to the minimum wage. Yeah, and um, Albanese has come out saying that he wants them to go up in line with inflation or five and a half percent, basically slightly above inflation. So. If that happens at the same time as you've got goods deflating, um, mm. the wages won't feed, uh, the, the wage, wages feed into inflation will be off, more than offset by the falling goods. Yeah. So you can, so you can argue the whole, uh, we've got real wage growth. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, which should, which should play really, really well. So there are, there's a decent prospect of that. So I guess in short answering your own question, uh, is Labor being handed an hospital pass? Maybe, but maybe not. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think they are if the meeting economist and market's correct. Yeah. Uh, in their, which bit. Um, yes. Like, like, in conventional terms, they look screwed, but it's probably yes. 
they're, they're very likely to be liberal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And look, you know, this whole notion that you're going to have the cash rate go two and a half to three and a half percent is just, I mean, I, I still, I, I believe it's bonkers. Dave believes it's bonkers. Yeah. Um, some others believe it's bonkers. But if that happens, well, then I think Labor are screwed. Uh, but given it, I don't think it will happen. Um, yeah, less screwed. <laughs> or, or, or or not screwed or, or you know maybe if 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 cards fall the right way maybe they'll come across as being you know the the savers a bit like they were during the gfc before yeah um like like labor's problem during the gfc was it came fairly early in its term it looked good at the start uh the first two years they were very popular you know we sailed through it australia was the only one of the only countries to avoid recession because we obviously ramped up that was really more because we had ramped up immigration but um in the last year of their term, uh, once everyone became complacent with that, it then got turned around to their reckless spending and school halls waste and their installation waste and blah, blah, blah. Well, so, we had the, the commodities investment super boom. That's right, yeah. yeah. So, so the RBA was busy making room for that, uh, which meant, you know, the East Coast had heavily falling house prices. But, I don't think we'll see a rerun of that for commodities, uh, resources investment. We're going to see a hodgepodge of investment in some uh, areas, especially, you know, the new age commodities in lithium and copper and sting, things like that that people see as essential for the energy transition. But there's not going to be anything for coal. There'll be nothing for iron ore. Uh, if they get an LNG project up, I'll be surprised. Um, because for various reasons, a lot of LNG buyers have enough for Australia and would rather diversify elsewhere, especially to the US, but also Qatar. There's a lot more volumes coming on over the next three to four years. Uh, and, you know, uh, we've exhausted the best of our LNG project. So we might get one or two backfilling projects up on the North Shelf, which, which would you know, might might push the RBA a little further, but I don't foresee anything like the resources investment boom that we had post-GFC, which is really the driver of a lot of, uh, you know, household dissatisfaction with the government of the day because they were the ones that were being forced to, to retrench to allow, uh, you know, the mining investment to take place without blowing up inflation. So... Uh, I don't see a rerun of that. No, and and obviously Australians are more comfortable with debt and deficits now. I don't think people care anymore. To be quite honest with you, it was a bit of a sort of boogeyman back in um, back when the Rudd Gillard Rudd governments were in. Uh, now we've obviously just lived sailed through the the pandemic or lived through the pandemic, and we've seen and and I think people are understanding that it's it's not really that big a deal. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's entirely gone, but I think surplus yeah. surplus obsession is gone. Yeah. Like, like getting back to surplus as some critical, uh, you know, macroeconomic lever, that, that's dead and buried. Um, uh, I mean, Chalmers was out yesterday saying he wants to run the budget fairly tight, no more new spending after the election promises and things, and that makes sense if you've got rising interest rates and everything. Yeah. Um, but as you say, like getting to surplus across the cycle, I think that's finished and and. and to be perfectly honest, that's a good thing. But then at the same time, I don't think we've swung entirely to the to the pole of MMT. 
Oh, no, no. But yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is if there's an accident and um, like the global, the, say the world does go into recession and and Labor's got to, you know, obviously the RBA's got to reverse yeah, and Labor's yeah. got to pump prime and stuff. But there's not oh, going to be the... the, no, the, the no, they'll have no issue with that. Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. Whereas during the GFC, the coalition ran the whole debt and deficit mantra. Oh, the yeah. coalition government, we, we, we paid back the debt. Labor's put us back in debt. Yeah, no, they, they can't. They can't, they can't run that, that line. <laughs> Partly because Labor can just go, well, hang on, two years ago, you <laughs> did this. They've also got the small problem of uh, the coalition does of whatever it says, it's going to come out of the mouth of Pete and D- Peter Dutton. So that's, <laughs> that's going to be a hard sell to begin with. Mate, never say never. Look, no, uh, I know. I, we've I, we've, I, we've I, learned I, that lesson. Yep. I never thought Tony Abbott become Prime Minister. I never thought Elbow would become. I thought both of them were placeholders. Yeah. And uh, and look, so um, yeah, yes. it could be the trifecta. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely, it could. I mean, there, there there are there are some very very big, very serious challenges confronting Australia, not just economic, especially geopolitical. And if Labor, you know, botches that uh, in the Pacific or or elsewhere, then uh, you know, coalition. Hawks, you know, will suddenly be uh, very popular again. So, you know, there are paths for the for the coalition to come back, even though they've, um, you know, done themselves some pretty serious harm. Yeah, never mm. say never. Yeah, but never say never. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think what it's shown is like Australians are. Um, I mean, more at the state level, I guess. Uh, we've seen you know one-term governments um, several times now, and. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, I'm definitely not predicting that like the coalition is going in the next election. I think it'll be at least two turns, but you just never know if there's a big enough accident. Um, you know, if, if things, if cards don't fall Labor's way, you never know. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I don't think the population has been flopping around, you know, changing parties until they get them to do, you know, to fix themselves. That's, yeah. The offerings on both sides have been so weak. And, uh, you know, and now we've got the Teals. It's the new attempt to do that. Uh, it's, also, it's also worth pointing wait, out. Wait, what is the ultimate balance in the Senate? I think it is Labor-Greens controlled, is it? Yeah, but, but, but the, I guess the warning sign for Labor is that they're, yeah, sure, they won the election, they got a stomping majority, but their primary vote was abysmal. So yeah. it was under, under a third, which I think is the lowest... For like, a um, it's for nine, a, nine, nine or something, nine and nine. Yeah, something like that. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's it's hundred, lowest in hundred years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's basically yeah. It's basically the lowest in well, I guess modern well, post-war history uh, yeah. for um for a elected government to get that few primary votes. And what that tells you is that this was more a vote against Scott Morrison than it was a vote for Labor. Yeah. Uh, that that's the way I read it anyway. No, I think that's right. So if they if they do make some blunders, that's not a uh, a strong base. But then again, I don't know if, if Peter Dutton's the 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 man they'd swing to. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess the the thing on that front that's all just a little bit scary for for the Liberal Party supporters is, you know, Barnaby Joyce and Peter Dutton. Are uh, you know two two? I mean that that is like a dream team from hell for the urban electorates. Yeah, like they're just they're going to be horrified. 
at that duo. But the same time, though, if you look at the UK, Boris Johnson won with you know, Londoners and you know those sort of I guess elites hate Boris Johnson. So uh, well, I, that's what I understand. So you never know. Like you know, yeah. it could be the it could be the Australian equivalent of the flyover states that that ends up swinging to the coalition. If um, and you know it 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 it, it might annoy the uh, the you know the latte left in Melbourne and Sydney, but so yeah, I mean, th- look, look, this is all, this is all just uh, navel gazing. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, I, I don't think Labor can be certainly can't be complacent, and, and I know you're you're not saying they should be or they would be, but no, um, you never know. No. All right. Well, yeah, guys, we've uh, we've got, uh, we've got a viewer a viewer question uh, that's come through uh, from Marcus. So um, uh, the RBA it's supposed to be independent, but he's saying that the RBA is not RBA is not independent, uh, and there's existing legislative uh, mechanism for the government to set the rate if they wanted to. So I guess the question is, uh, if rates went to where the market is pricing, they they're going to go to, uh, could Labor actually step in, and and do you think would they? No, no, and no. Why, why is that? Well, I mean, it's a sacred cow. Of, Suicidal. Of the political economies, the independence of the central bank. The, the, the only scenario in which I could see that happening is war. Um, but for, for some reason, the government of the day felt, felt it needed to nationalize the rba it would but that would you know maybe it felt it needed needed more more uh, quantitative easing to help fund its war effort or something of that nature but or some similar scale of shock which we do not appear to be confronting so it, uh, it, it, it'd be similar to like the 1975 dismissal when uh, the governor general booted out um Gough whitlam i'm not saying it's Obviously, kicking the prime ministers bigger, but mm. that that was perceived as this huge historical anomaly. Which, yeah, sure, the legislation was there to allow it at the time, but it was never sought as being something that they'd actually do. Mm. Um, and I think this is a kind of similar sort of case, as Dave said. It's probably there, written that way, for these extraordinary circumstances like war or something like that. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I think honestly, I think if Labor did that, they'd probably be booted from um it'd be just such a travesty we are, we are going to get an rba review though yeah which will be a good thing because it's um it's forecasting record in particular has been abysmal for a long time uh which has led it to to overdo a couple of cycles um uh, both on the downside and up so uh we will see some some pressure on the RBA, RBA to reform and improve, but that's about as far as it will go. And, and uh, you know, it remains to be seen how much that pressure will even come to bear if we have an inquiry. Australia has a terrific history of brilliant inquiries and then doing nothing <laughs> with them. So. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're the world champions in that. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> so that's probably okay. about as dramatic as it gets for the RBA. 
Okay, uh, nice one, guys. Thanks for that. Um, so now we've got our viewer question of the week. Uh, so this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comments section over the coming days. Uh, the question for this week is, is Australia heading for recession? Uh, so feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. Uh, so just quickly, uh, Dave, Dave first, um, what's, what's your short answer on is Australia heading for recession? And then Leith will get your comments as well. Uh, I, it's too opaque to give you a direct answer. I'd say probably 50-50 between the two scenarios we described, soft landing and hard. Uh, the hard landing being an actual recession, soft landing just being, you know, crappy growth for a couple of quarters um, down in the ones. Uh, so I, I just put that at, at half 50-50 at the moment. Yeah, I'd say maybe. Um, depends on, on all these things we talk about, but, you know, largely whether the Reserve Bank um, overdoes it on interest rates. And, um, yeah, I, th I think if we, would, if we would have a recession, there'd have to be a mistake. And it, and it wouldn't be the government's mistake. It'd be the Reserve Bank's mistake. Yeah, which is which is plausible. Yeah, it is. Oh, absolutely, it's plausible. And, and and honestly, I think I think you know if the RBNZ again, I'm pointing to New Zealand. I don't know if I should, but if the RBNZ follows through what they said yesterday in the statement of monetary policy, I think they're going to drive a recession. And they said straight out, black and white, in their statement that they're deliberately. The New Zealand economy is running ahead of capacity and they're deliberately retrenching the economy to bring it back into line, demand and supply back into line. So, um, you know, if the RBA end up doing following through that, which I don't think they will, our pressures aren't quite as bad. Um, Labor, you know, uh, we, we could end up with a recession, um, but it'd have to be, it'd have to be a mistake. Mm. Okay, um, thanks for that, guys. That almost wraps us up. Um, so, Dave, just want to thank you for joining us and, and sharing your views and opinions uh, again on the show. Thank you, Sam. And uh, Leif, thanks again also for your uh, economic perspective and your insights as well. Yeah, cheers, Sam, and uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. Cheers, guys. Um, so uh, we do welcome your feedback on this podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. Uh, if you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comments section below or send us an email at contact at newcastlewealth.com. Just a reminder, this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your financial situation, please go to our website at newcastlewealth.com and you can book a call with myself or one of the team. Don't forget to like the video now. And finally, if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you can please share it with them. Uh, also, if you'd like to see more of our previous episodes of content, head over to nucleuswealth.com uh, forward slash content. And to stay up to date with news from us, you can also follow us on all major social media. Uh, so from myself, Dave, Leith, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.